Well, here we are, episode 78 of the Dawson D Show, and today we're talking all things breakups with Rosie Wilby. Rosie is an award-winning comedian, author, TEDx speaker, and podcaster who has appeared many times on BBC Radio 4 programs, including Women's Hour and For Thought. Her first book, Is Monogamy Dead?, was longlisted for the Polary First Book Prize and followed a trilogy of solo shows investigating the psychology of love and relationships. We talked on the topic of whether monogamy is dead, which was extremely fascinating to hear Rosie's thoughts. I do have to own up, though. I had no clue what the word monogamy even meant uh, when I was researching Rosie before the interview, and Dee kind of had to help me out there, so thank you, Dee. Typical Doss always struggles with his grammar. And we have to mention Rosie's TEDx talk, Is Monogamy Dead?, it's now been viewed over 56,000 times on YouTube, which is incredible. We were super fortunate to speak with Rosie, as she's just recently launched her brand new book, The Breakup Monologues, which is based on her acclaimed podcast with the exact same name. In 2011, Rosie was broken up with via email, and has since embarked on a quest to investigate, understand, and conquer the psychology of heartbreak, but in a humorous way. We talked all things breakups, and Rosie shared some really insightful answers that could help anyone who might be going through a breakup or is struggling to get over that heartache. It was super interesting picking her brain on the topic of sex, and finding out how important sex really is in a relationship. We also found out what is and what isn't classified as cheating in a relationship, according to statistics that Rosie collected from a survey. Guys, you won't want to miss a minute, so crank up that volume and tune in to this incredible conversation with the one, the only, Rosie Wilby. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Two great mates striving to improve in all areas of their lives. The podcast is designed to empower everyday humans just like us who want to add more joy, energy and happiness into their daily lives. Sharing our real life experiences and everyday struggles, relating to them in a personal way. Expect uncensored stories, plenty of laughs and tips and tricks to inspire you on your own journey. Now, let's go balls deep. Well, Doss, one of the great things about what we do is we get to speak to incredible people and sometimes they have so many different changes in their career that you just don't know what direction we're going to go with. And today we're speaking with an author, a musician, a TEDx speaker, a podcaster, <laughs> comedian. a comedian, but also an accidental guru. So we welcome Rosie Wilby to the Doss and D Show. Hi. Rosie, thanks for joining us. We're very grateful for, for your time today. But we just spoke off air briefly, but you've got a brand new book out, The Breakup Monologues. Really intrigued about this. Can you share with the listeners what inspired this book and what the book's about? (laughs) Well, the book is all about breakups and how we recover from them and how they can sometimes even be an opportunity to reinvent ourselves and transform and, uh, you know, start new adventures and new life. So it has a sort of optimistic tone and it was inspired by my podcast series, The Breakup Monologues, which I've been releasing in short seasons over the past few years. So there's about 50 episodes of that available. And the book then sort of uses some bits of my highlights of the podcast interviews and merges that in with my own story of trying to learn from all my own past breakups how to finally stay in a relationship. So it's a mix of comedy, memoir, psychology and science. There's some real science and interviews with academics and experts about how heartbreak works, the parallels with withdrawing from a drug, um, the kind of future of breakups and whether something like the film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind could ever be a reality where we could perhaps erase an X from our memory. And so all kinds of questions like that are covered in this kind of mix of comedy and personal story and 
and fun and science as well. When did you actually start talking about the relationship side of things and what were you speaking about predominantly even in comedy prior to this way? Yeah, I mean, I started comedy in uh, the mid-noughties after I had, as you mentioned, been a musician. (laughs) That's quite a long time ago now. I had had a music career as a singer-songwriter and when I used to chat a lot and tell stories between the songs, people said that I could maybe be good at comedy. So I ended up, yeah, entering a few comedy competitions here in the UK, in London, and got through to the finals and later stages of those. And yeah, I guess my early comedy material was, you know, about life in London and um, I don't know, going to the gym or going shopping or a lot of kind of everyday topics that would sometimes have a slightly surreal spin on them. But then when I started going to Edinburgh and take, you know, comedians all take their one hour show to the Edinburgh Festival, the Edinburgh Fringe. I realised I needed to have a bit of a theme, a bit of a a topic, although I have done one or two shows about other themes, like I've done a show about feminism and I've done a show about memory, actually, the science of how our memory works. Um, So I have done a few different things as well, but largely my three key shows that I've toured around the world are a trilogy of shows all about love and relationships because I think relationships do happen in three stages. Most evolutionary anthropologists will tell you that, uh, that there are three stages of love from lust through romantic love to attachment. And so I think a trilogy of shows about the sort of three stages, although the three stages I look at are more the sort of beginnings, middles and endings of relationships. But those do loosely tie in with the sort of different hormonal and psychological uh, stages of relationships that a scientist would would talk about as well. So, yeah, I toured a show called The Science of Sex, which was a kind of spoofy and subversive sex education lesson, the type we all wish we'd had at school, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and about those beginnings of of relationships, why we fancy certain people, why we have a certain type, why we might be a particular sexual orientation. Then that was followed with a comedy show called Is Monogamy Dead, which was about some of the questions that we might ask when we're in a longer term committed partnership and we might be struggling with questions around fidelity and cheating and what that even means. And so that was all based on a survey asking what counts as cheating, which was <laughs> very interesting. Maybe it's not such a black and white question as we all assume. And that show became my first book, Is Monogamy Dead? And then the final part of the trilogy was a show all about breakups, which eventually spun off into the Breakup Monologues podcast. And now the Breakup Monologues book, which came out in the UK last year and also then came out in Australia and the US and around the world and it's uh, yeah I've had some lovely reactions to it so it's been it's been great to have two you know two of those comedy shows actually then go on to to become books Mm. Um, although obviously when you write a book there's a lot more content that goes into it Mm. than you can fit into a one-hour comedy show so there are a lot of different people's stories there were a lot of different interviews and a lot of um, science and experiences that I put myself through like uh, (laughs) there's a chapter where I talk about going and participating in a sex lab 
which is like a, an experiment where they are investigating people's sexuality and what turns us on. And so you're wow. kind of wired up to all the machines while you're looking at erotic imagery. Wow, <laughs> interesting. So, yeah, so people might have fun uh, reading about that, perhaps. <laughs> um, yeah, because I, I think there's an argument that the way we define our sexual orientations culturally and the way we sort of package those are sometimes, you know, narrower than the realities of our more animal sexual instincts particularly for women perhaps we've been sort of socially and culturally conditioned to think you know we're gay or straight and not sort of own the fact that our, <laughs> our sexual drives might be really really broad we mm. might be turned on by a whole variety of things well i found it really fascinating that you brought that up because watching your ted talk talking about i guess what is a relationship and you're talking about, you know, your close best friends, almost you're telling them things that you sometimes don't even tell your partner, but your, your partner, the person you're in a relationship with, is it is sex the only reason we classify us as a relationship, but you can go off and talk to your friends about things. I found that really fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting how we seem to classify relationships according to sex and that seems to be what defines a relationship as a primary relationship and in many cases that does go hand in hand that we have an exclusive sexual partnership with the person that we also live with or are married to or have had children with or have pets with or <laughs> you know kind of feel a sense of family with mm. but it doesn't always go hand in hand there are people who feel that they fit oddly with that narrative with that construct and they might feel that you know they do have a sexual partner but actually that's someone much more casual than their best friend who is the the primary key person in their life who they turn to for support or some people might feel that their biological family like parents and siblings are you know key support system in their lives so we all have different people it might be friends or it might be a lover but I think we sort of shouldn't have too many kind of rules around who mm. should be the most important person in your life. Mm. So long as everyone knows, you know, where they stand and we're all honest and respectful and there are lots of conversations going on. And I think that's what I found very interesting is when I started to learn about open relationships or polyamorous setups and people who had ethically negotiated having more than one sexual partner, there were so very many honest conversations going on within those relationships because everybody wanted to communicate and so that the whole situation was understood by everyone involved in it. I think it's interesting speaking from people that we talk to, our generation, our friends, that big question that you asked as the title of your book is monogamy dead. It's, it's a fascinating thing. And one of the things I picked up from your talk as well is that you said it's like changed where monogamy used to mean, you know, like one partner or one relationship or one marriage for life. Now it's like almost one relationship for that season. And monogamy seems to be an issue now because there's so many failed marriages, which we know, and there's so many people that almost are in it for a period of time, whether that's to have a family or in your research and your conversations and talking to people that might try open relationships or polyamorous, do you find that that's, there's a success rate in doing that now? Is that like you find someone that may fulfill your sexual needs versus someone that may fill your more emotional needs? Is that a trend that could be potentially useful for the future? I think 
what's useful for the future is that there are more open conversations around all of this. I think whatever you do, it's actually really complicated. Relationships mm. are complicated and human beings are complicated. So I think it would be dangerous to assume that, <laughs> you know, uh, simply having two partners or three partners is suddenly going to mean that all your needs are, are met because mm -hmm. you have more potential people to connect with for different things, different parts of your life. Because, of course, then you've got different relationships and you've got more complexity in your life potentially because you've got more people who also need to lean on you and, and have support from you. So whenever you're having some kind of significant relationship with somebody, you have to put work into that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not just about what you can get from it and you can take from it. And I think we can easily fall into the trap of, <laughs> of thinking it is. Um, so, you know, it's about how much time and headspace you've got to give to all your connections and partnerships and how you manage that. So, you know, I think it's healthy that we're really communicating around what all of this means and that can only be a good thing. But I think in some ways for younger generations, things have got more complicated because of the internet and because of the tech revolution and how dating has <laughs> been completely revolutionized and, and everybody meets on apps. And there's a sense that there is just so much choice, you know, and it yes. becomes much harder to settle with one or even two or three partners, if you are polyamorous, you know, you feel like there's just a, a constant supply and you could just keep changing partners. But to some extent, staying with someone a reasonable amount of time at least allows you to create some history together, even mm. if the sexual or romantic relationship doesn't last. Maybe you'll have an ongoing friendship afterwards. So I do think, you know, having some roots and foundations with, with some people in your life is, is a good thing. You mentioned the three phases of the relationship and I'm interested in the last one, which you said it was like attachment. I can relate to it. Being together for a few years, it's, it's just part of your daily life. You're attached and suddenly you, you might go through a breakup, which we both have been through breakups in the last year, which is really nice to actually have a conversation with you with someone who's so highly skilled in this area. But with attachment, why is it so hard when a breakup happens? Is, is it the attachment why it's so difficult because we just we, we don't know what to do now now that that one person was everything yeah absolutely it is when you're moving into an attached stage in a relationship perhaps after you've been together you know maybe a couple of years or so you start to have different chemicals that are flowing around the brain you know that are triggered by that person by being with that special person yeah there's a particular chemical called a beta endorphin which you're uh, basically becoming a addicted to <laughs> um, yeah. you know it's a sort of bonding chemical and um, so it's like a sort of opiate so when that person is removed who is the you know source of, of that kind of chemical uh, you're essentially withdrawing from a very very addictive drug so you go through a drug withdrawal process very much like someone who would be withdrawing from a highly addictive substance like heroin. So, <laughs> you know, it is, it really is cold turkey for a while. So I think you're right that it really is just, you know, you do feel like the floor has kind of disappeared from underneath you for a while and, and you're kind of in free fall because you're not sure what to do because that person has been so much of your daily routine. But 
I do think that after some time, human beings are incredibly resilient and we, we can recover, we can transform and reinvent ourselves. And actually, we can learn a great deal about who might be a better partner for us in the future, who we might be more compatible with and who we might feel more authentic with and, and what we want and what we need. Mm. I don't know if this is a bit of a question without notice, but in terms of all the research you've done and conversations you've had, is there, I don't know, in percentage terms, like the main causes of breakups, why do people break up? Is it because now that idea of choice that, okay, well, if I break up with this person, I can swipe tonight and basically fulfill <laughs> some kind of need? Um, I just love to know, that, yeah, what causes people to break up in, in your research? Well, I at the beginning of my book, um, in the introduction, there's a little section called Grounds for Divorce, which is kind of a pun because there's, um, I found a really interesting fact from history where <laughs> women could file for divorce if um, uh, her husband didn't provide her with enough coffee. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what part of the world that fun stat was from. But yeah, so a, a friend of mine who'd written another book about relationships and breakups and, and uh, polyamory, she had quoted a sort of seven reasons for, for relationships ending. And the number one by far was, was sex. Um, mm -hmm. And sex is obviously a broad topic, but, you know, whether that would be mismatched libidos or whether it would be, you know, somebody was basically in love or lust with somebody else and wanted to have sex with somebody else or did have some sex with somebody else outside the primary partnership. And if it was a monogamous relationship, maybe that was not acceptable. That was out of the agreed boundaries of, of the relationship or, you know, even within polyamorous relationships, there are often rules and boundaries about, you know, who you might have another relationship with or, or how many times you might see them or what, you might do with them or you know there are all kinds of rules that people put in place to sort of try and maintain some kind of structure perhaps to you know who they might be in a primary partnership with and then sometimes uh you know these things swap around and the secondary partner becomes the primary partner but all this is is pretty complex and, and emotionally challenging um for the people involved so I think sex is complicated like you know it, it's it's lots of fun and you know most of us uh, <laughs> most of us enjoy sex you know some people are asexual and actually you know that's not part of of what they need or want but you know in general we all feel sexual desire mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily align <laughs> with with our lives and who we're with in a relationship so it's it's quite natural and normal to fancy other people but sometimes that can cause problems you know particularly if we act on it behind our partner's back why is sex so important we actually had um we had a conversation a lady named Catherine lyle she was a, a porn addiction specialist and we spoke to her a couple of months ago and she spoke about you know in a relationship a man and a woman might not be having sex because the the male or the female is watching too much pornography but she basically said if you're not having sex you're basically just friends that live together and we found that really funny and interesting because <laughs> going back to my very first question, which, you know, I asked you about the, t the TED talk, like, is that, is that what you think? Like, are we, are we just friends if we're living together, but not having sex? Like I'm, no. I'm intrigued to hear what you think. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I yeah. actually, I find it dangerous when we start defining a relationship by sex, 
that's pretty much most couples around the world everywhere. Yeah. Most couples are not having sex and we need to get used to that. We need to stop being so worried that everyone else is having way better sex than, than us. The people who are having sex, the people who are single because they're available and free to do it because mm. <laughs> the way our desire works is that we're most excited about a new person. We are turned on by novelty. You do have sex when you meet somebody new. That that's how it works. That, that's what happens. So if you or when you break somebody, up, <laughs> or when you oh yeah, well God, that can be very bittersweet and painful, can't it? Yeah. But yeah, you know, so you tend to have more sex when somebody is new, when you're just dating and and you're first getting to know somebody, because that is a way of getting to know somebody. It's like a sort of fast track to the deeper connection and intimacies that that you have that may not be about specific sexual acts you know later on in the relationship so <laughs> yeah I, th I think you can form a real connection that is you know in some ways deeper than sex I mean I know sex can feel incredibly deep and incredibly emotional and connected and amazing but I also think there's something about deep companionship that is valuable and precious too the, the tricky thing is, is how on earth do we have both? Mm. Are we skipping a few steps? Like this younger generation, we talk about the apps, like it's almost the sex is almost first and there's no, sometimes there's not even a first date. It's like Netflix and chill, you know, that gets <laughs> joked about. But is that, I guess, a dangerous thing as well? Like it, when trying to find a partner, like is, the sex, is, there a, is there a thing or a way that the sex has had too early? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I, th I think even even older generations, when you like somebody and you connect with somebody, we can often have sex on the first or second date. So I, I think if, if you fancy somebody, that is the way that human desire works. You do sort of want to, you want to have sex with them fairly early on. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to know that that compatibility works sometimes i've sort of engaged in like long online flirtations with people and then i've met them in real life and actually the chemistry isn't there and it's quite yeah, disappointing yeah. <laughs> you know or or we have a kiss and just the kissing connection chemistry isn't there because i think kissing is really important for me personally that's the thing that's really important if someone's a good kisser or I don't know, the right kisser, we have the right mouth-to-mouth -mouth <laughs> connection, yeah. chemistry or whatever it is, and the kissing is really nice, which it is with, with my partner now, that is really, really important. But, but yeah. sometimes just somehow, I don't know, there's just these very subliminal things about somebody's scent, somebody's pheromones that just sometimes seem slightly, slightly off, even though on paper... They're this incredibly intellectual, and interesting and funny and sexy and wonderful person. But there's just something about the chemistry that is not, not quite connecting, not quite right. And it can be incredibly frustrating. So I don't necessarily think having sex early on is, is a bad thing. It's just I suppose we all have to get our heads around and be accepting of the fact that the sex will well, not exactly die, <laughs> you know, yeah. you can still have sex later in a relationship, but it it won't be the same and it won't be nearly so frequent. And it's really uh, about negotiating what you do about that. Some people might have open relationships and have sex with other people outside of primary partnership, or some people 
may may just find other ways of of experiencing intimacy that doesn't necessarily always involve specific acts penetration and so on and you know if 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 someone's not in the mood for you know full-on sex maybe they're in the mood for kissing and cuddling and and kind of uh, other forms of intimacy but it it is hard because we're under so much pressure we are led to believe that we should be having loads of sex and I think there are loads of studies that show that actually your younger generation are are having the least sex you know of all Mm. like that Mm. you know we I think older generations have had more sex in the past than than younger generations now and I partly think that that might be just there's so much competition for our attention now yeah. um, because there is so much going on, so many TV channels, you know, so much stuff on the internet. I mean, when I was growing up as a kid in, in the UK, in, uh, I was a teenager in the 1980s and there were hardly any TV channels, you know, no mobile phones, you know, there was, there was really not that much to do. <laughs> so you did have kind of romantic fantasies about, people you loved and you became very obsessed about that or people you yeah. fancied <laughs> because there wasn't really much to think about or do. <laughs> yeah. it, it's funny because based on this topic, one of the things that I think, I know speaking from experience of us two chatting together is that sometimes there's a bit of guilt around either wanting to have sex when you're not getting it or whatever that may be, fulfilling fantasies. And you've heard it from so many different people, but I want to ask, because you touched on something earlier that I thought was really interesting, and you talked about cheating, and you said that it's not as black and white as we may think. So everybody's definition of cheating tends to be different, and with this gray area could lead to a lot of potential issues. So I'm not going to ask you to classify what cheating means necessarily to you, but through some of the people you've spoken to, perhaps could you share where the line is in, I suppose, general society? Yeah. Um well, in, within my survey, which was a small survey of 100 people, but it was just to give us a bit of a taste of the fact that it's not necessarily just about sex, however we define that. Yeah, I mean, the most people, um, I gave them a load of different options that they could vote for, and the most people voted for you know, having sex with someone else would be mm-hmm. the thing that would count as cheating in a monogamous relationship. You know, that was near, nearly 100%. And then not far behind that was kissing somebody else but then actually really really not far behind that was falling in love with someone else but with no sexual contact so this Mm. idea of an emotional spectrum of cheating you know very much intersects and overlaps with the idea of a you know physical spectrum of cheating of what your partner actually does as opposed to what they simply think or feel and I think the emotional spectrum is so much more complicated because how on earth do you police that you know you Mm. can't really stop your partner from falling in love with somebody else and you can't really ask them to (laughs) Mm. I I don't know but I mean I know a number of people who think it's an indication that something's wrong in the relationship I'm not sure I really agree with that I do think it's quite natural and normal to feel real attractions strong attractions to to other people Um, and I think it just requires you know, some emotional maturity and, and real communication skills to be able to to be able to talk about it. And and sometimes I think you can stay in a partnership with somebody and, and actually have really strong feelings for somebody else as well, but just acknowledge that is just part of life. Mm, <laughs> they also yeah. have this thing for this other person. But you know, maybe it's just more of a fantasy thing 
And and actually, if I had a relationship with them in real life, it might not work. So it's just maybe quite a nice fantasy to have. I mean, tons and tons of people have like a celebrity fantasy yeah. shag list, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, they do, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Like, so their partner will go, okay, so, you know, I'd give you a free pass, <laughs> you know, if it was one of your top five people. And they're like, okay, well, my... You know, my my list would be, um, you know, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, you know, and then yeah. you kind of have these lists of people. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting how we we sort of acknowledge that that love and lust uh, are really really complicated. Yeah, it's funny that like it's almost acceptable to have. You could make comments to your partner about it if you're watching a movie about celebrities or singers or whoever it may be. But if it was somebody that you actually know that's within the friendship group, then suddenly that's definitely a no-no. Like, <laughs> like that. And it's weird to think that. Yeah. And it could just be on that same thing you're talking about. It's just at the end of the day, it's just lust. Yeah. I know it'll probably be a lot more info in your book and you don't want to give too much away, but <laughs> would you possibly be able to give us maybe one, a, a story within that book, like a breakup story or, or something in there that, You've got the comedy background. I'd love to give the listeners a bit of a chuckle if there's something <laughs> funny in there. Or, <laughs> Well, I mean, I, when I'm telling people why I initially became so obsessed with breakups, it was all because um, I did get uh, dumped by email, although <laughs> I always joke that I, uh, I felt much better about it once I corrected her spelling. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to that, yeah. Uh, and punctuation and change the font. but i mean interestingly there was a an australian connection to that story because she dumped me actually after we had had a trip to australia together i'd been doing a few performances and comedy gigs over there and we were actually staying with her ex yeah who she hadn't seen for a number of years but you know it turned out they had more unresolved stuff than i'd realized so it was kind of quite a complicated uh, complicated holiday yeah <laughs> oh gosh i'm also fascinated with breakups is you know and there's this age-old thing that some people say you know you should stick it out you can fix it you can work on it and one of my questions is sort of regarding do we break up too soon or do we break up too late and i know it's everybody's different and there's toxic relationships and all these complicated issues but when you kind of realize it's just it's hard to explain like it's just not the right person like you may tick a lot of boxes but it's there's just something that's missing whether it's a disagreement about future or, or whatever that may be do we tend to hold on too long or do we tend to let go too quick without trying to fix or find a solution yeah i think i think we kind of do both you know i see tons and tons of people who say they've they've kind of tried you know for too long when a situation was clearly not working equally you see people just give up very 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 easily um or even you know when they're kind of chatting with somebody online you know just ghost them just suddenly disappear mm. uh, when they've never even <laughs> met that person in real life or or even given them a chance you know yeah I, th- I think there's a mix of those two things going on and it's really difficult isn't it I think it depends what our priorities are you know sort of older generations would have really stuck at it throughout yeah. a ton of problems and maybe you know sometimes come back together and, and reconnect after having possibly years and years of of struggles of difficulties of you know conflict and sometimes you can resolve things you can work things through particularly 
with a good therapist or possibly with your circumstances changing, you know, if couples retire from their jobs that have been stressing them out a lot or, you know, their kids leave home and they suddenly get more headspace and time for one another. Sometimes hear about couples who have, have reconnected after they've had some difficult times. So, you know, but that's not to say that's always going to happen. Sometimes it is the right thing to go actually yeah it's not right but I, I think this idea that we're somehow going to know when we meet the one in inverted mm. commas it is also a bit of a myth um <laughs> i mean you know you would hope we find a really lovely connection and someone we can feel comfortable with and authentic with and who we have you know a lovely sexual connection a great friendship underpinning that but you know i think rather than there being one person there are lots of different ones and even you know, even when we've met one of those people that we do have a really high level of compatibility with, and we share some similar aspirations, and life goals, and values, it's still it's still hard work. You know, it's, it's yeah. not like going to suddenly magically all fall into place. We talk about going through our own like exp- exploration, being single, fighting that loneliness, that feeling of loneliness, and as males, like it's uh, like I don't know, but. Sometimes you feel like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't feel that way because it's, you know, we're, we're on our own and we're achieving our goals and going after what we want. But it's hard not to feel lonely at times. I, I'd like to hear about males in particular. Have you seen, or males and females, and this is our audience that we're trying to talk to is that 20-something bracket, that person in their mid-20s. I see a lot of people our age and people back home in Australia, I don't know if it's here in, in the UK, but they don't want to be lonely, so they settle for the wrong person. Uh, I'd be really intrigued to hear what your opinion is on that. Yeah, I think I think many, many people have done that. And we shouldn't be so fearful of, of being on our own because that can be, I think, as you get older, you realise that the time spent on your own are really precious, really valuable. It's really exciting to have headspace and time on your own to devote to your careers or exciting creative projects like you're doing now. You know, it's, it's great to have that time to do the things that, that define you and, and, you know, become a part of, of who you are. And, you know, you learn so much when you're single. You learn so much about yourself mm. and you have so much more energy to devote to yourself and your own projects, your own creativity, your own identity, your own friendships and fun. That can be... You know, once you've got over the initial loneliness, that can be a really, really great, uh, precious thing and a really, really great time. Yeah, but, I, you know, what I would say as well is being in the wrong relationship, you know, if it isn't working, if it is uh, not not the right person for you or not the right connection or just not the right time, you know, you just weren't ready to commit to somebody at that moment because you were perhaps still hung up on somebody else. You know, I think that can be the loneliest thing of all. Mm. is being with somebody who's not the right person or even being with you know a ton of people like i know a lot of people would say they've they've gone to parties and felt lonely you know sometimes you know sometimes sitting on your own (laughs) on the beach (laughs) is the most divine and heavenly thing you know (laughs) sitting on the beach with a good book with the sea lapping at your feet you know (laughs) couldn't agree more times like that when being on your own is 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 a gift it's a joy (laughs) I think one of the things that I try to, like when I am single, is work on areas of my life that if the next relationship comes and and goes, like not that you obviously want to set up for failure in relationships or anything like that, but it's like when you become single again, that you're so confident in what you're doing and who you are and where you're going that obviously you're going to have 
a, a tough time getting over it and there's emotions attached and, and etc but it's that you don't feel that need i don't know if that's the right word but almost like that needy feeling where it's like i'm clinging on to somebody and like for me personally i hate when that feeling yeah. of clinging on to someone or somebody clinging on to me and that's yeah. do you have any tips to get over breakups for people because I'm sure a lot of our listeners have been through them or going through them. And I know I've asked a lot of questions today that are so open-ended and I apologize for that because it's it's things that people probably should work through with the therapist, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Do you have any sort of generic tips that may help some people? Yeah. I mean, you know, as we touched on before, our being with our partners sort of triggers a load of really happy, good chemicals in the brain, you know, as well as the beta endorphin, the really addictive one I mentioned earlier, there's good chemicals like dopamine and oxytocin, which are chemicals that uh, dopamine is associated with our reward system in the brain. And oxytocin is nicknamed the cuddle chemical because it's released when we have close uh, contact. It's released when women have, have a baby, uh, you know, and they want to cuddle a baby and, and we often get a real hit of it. You know, women often like smelling their babies. I really like smelling my dog. I'm addicted to the smell of my dog. She smells like biscuits and I just can't get enough of it. Whereas I guess if somebody else smelled her, they might not smell the same thing. It's just my bond with her, my connection yeah. with her. She releases something in me <laughs> because I absolutely adore her. You know, it's about doing things that do in alternative ways um, increase these levels of happy and feel-good chemicals. So we start to feel happy and okay on our own and you know things like spending time with animals or pets may be really good thing uh spending time with other friends humans you know dancing laughing exercise is really good that gets the heart pumping that gets the body going enjoying foods that you really enjoy treat yourself to some of your favorite things um chocolate can actually be really good i mean you know not in huge excess but a little bit of chocolate releases some dopamine and so it's not really a complete kind of cliche this idea of you know particularly I know women often go around with to their friend who's been dumped you know with a bag full of of goodies of chocolate and ice cream and stuff and actually you know that (laughs) it's not the worst idea um a little bit of of good good quality chocolate you know good yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it does release some dopamine um, but yeah I think I think exercise and and having a routine getting outdoors sunshine you know vitamin d you know all of these things it sounds cliche but, but things that that made you feel good before you were in that relationship you know we often lose touch with our friends when we're with somebody because we get all you know cozy and coupled up and live in that little bubble and cocoon with somebody so maybe it's time to reach out again to friends that you saw a lot of before you were in a relationship and you've maybe lost touch a bit with that can be really exciting because you know uh you kind of rediscovered some of your friendships again well rosie that's uh, i actually found that the best thing for me when i went through a breakup and you've hit the nail on the head is like going to the gym that's kind of like what helped me the most is going and just lifted some weights and I'm sure Daniel, he loves to run. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know, there's something about exercise that it's always the best medicine, even during this current climate, the best thing to do is to exercise. <laughs> and I think that's also too, like funny enough, that's that last tip you gave about reaching out to friends or people that you may have lost due to a relationship. I'm sure most people can relate to that. That's a really good way of looking at it because it, it has that sort of feel of excitement without trying to go and be honest, like I, gotten over breakups by 
straight on the apps and how many can, <laughs> yeah. how many can we sleep with? <laughs> you know? and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. That, and that's you yeah, know, the, re- the rebound. Yeah, yeah. The, the rebound. Yeah. But yeah, and you're probably, I don't know if you're chasing it. the hormones or you're chasing that feeling or you're chasing that excitement, like that you can probably rediscover through the things that you may have lost in that time period. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, Rosie, I think we just want to thank you for your time. It's been an awesome chat. We've loved loved hanging out with you and having a conversation. I would love to know how our listeners can, can find a copy of your book, uh, The Breakup Monologues, and how they could find I guess the best way to contact you and, and your podcast, uh, are you on all the platforms? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Rosie Wilby. That's R-O-S-I-E-W-I-L-B-Y. I'm on Instagram at Breakup Monologues. And yeah, the podcast is free on all the main podcast platforms, Apple, uh, Spotify, all, all the usual ones. So you can, you can find it. And the book, The Breakup Monologues, is available Again, really anywhere you get you get books around the world. So all the platforms like like Amazon and stuff um, in the UK. I think in Australia there's some there's some different ones over there that and I forget what they are now. We're always a bit on, different, aren't we? No, yeah. we'll have, yeah, we'll have yeah, plenty yeah. of links no, no, for no, our but Australian It's listeners. available on um, on most of the good ones over there as well. And actually, there's a link on if people do follow me on Twitter. There's a link on my pinned tweet which uh, has all the main options oh, in the perfect. UK Australia for, for uh, buying the book, actually. So, so yeah, oh, I'm just looking. Yeah, Booktopia was one of the oh, yeah, places in that's Australia where you, where you can get it. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to reading. I'm sure you are too. Um, and yeah, but I just want to thank you, Rosie, from us. It means a lot that we got to sit down and spend this time with you. I've learned a lot, got a lot to think about, and I'm sure so will all the listeners. So just want to thank you once again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Dee, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, Dee? It's at D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>